Remain standing just a moment. We're going to read from the Word of the Lord. I want to read a single verse this morning, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. We'll work our way through the chapter together in a moment, but our text today is a single verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. If I had a title today, it would simply be, The Battle Belongs to God. Say that with me. The battle belongs to God. I want you to read it with me. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. Let's read together. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Amen. Give the Lord a great hand of praise. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and all his people said. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. Amen. Some of you right now are facing an unexpected battle, just like the people of Israel. We know a little bit about battles today, don't we? We're aware of that. We fight them. We see them all day long. You and I came today, many of us dressed in the jerseys of our favorite teams, because tonight we're expecting to watch a battle, right? Two teams will take the field tonight, and one of them will leave victorious, and the other will leave defeated. And that's the way that will go. And we'll gather around, and we'll watch, and we'll cheer for our favorite side. Or maybe you like me, and you don't really care since the Saints are at home tonight. Amen. But you're going to watch anyway, right? Yeah, we'll watch, and we'll eat popcorn, and we'll have a good night. But tonight is all about the battle. Say the battle. Tonight is about battle. We'll watch teams battle it out. We've watched them fight all the way through the season to get to tonight. Maybe you're a basketball fan and you're watching that as it goes through. Maybe you're like me and you won't start watching till March, right? <laughs> and you'll catch up then when March Madness hits. You'll find out who's who then. Let them work out it out right now, right? Let them cull the weak guys. I just want to watch the good guys at the end. That's what I want to do. We're all about battle in our culture, aren't we? We have battles on the gridiron. We have battles on the court. We have battles from people singing on The Voice and American Idol and shows like that. We're familiar with competition and battle. But I want to tell you there are some more serious battles in life, aren't there? There's some more serious fights that come our way from time to time. And maybe you're facing one of those today. Maybe you are neck deep in a very difficult battle. Maybe you feel like the enemy of your soul has risen up against you and you're fighting him today. I want to tell you today there's good news in God's Word. The battle is not yours but God's. Say that with me. The battle is not yours, but God's. God will help you fight and win the victory today. That's the passage we just read. I want to tell you today, we've sung it all morning. We've declared there's a victory promised to us in Jesus. I love the song, Chad. I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. I believe that's true for us. Uh, Sharon and the choir just led us in singing, reminding us, my help, all of my help cometh from the Lord. Amen? And so today, we've been reminded from God's Word, and we've sung the truth today. We don't have to be discouraged. The battle is not ours, but God's. Amen? When you look at this chapter, the verse we just read, it's part of a much larger story, and you pick it back up in verse 1. And so if you have your Bible open, you can flip back there and follow along with me. You can also find this in the notes if you have the Version app on your phone. You can find the passage, search under live events for Forest Hill Church, and you'll see the notes there to go along with the sermon this morning. Amen? I want you to notice this with me today. There's the backstory here. The chapter begins with God's people, the people of Judah, facing an unexpected attack by their enemy. God's people are the people of Judah. Judah means praise. God's people are the people who praise him. Amen? 
Amen. Here we are, the backstory, verse 1. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, which with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Engedi. What does that mean, Pastor? What are those place names? Well, without flipping over to a map and showing you, let me just give you the, the thumbnail of this. Here's where they are. Here's what's happening to them. There are two things you need to know to begin with. Number one, notice they're outnumbered. Say outnumbered. It isn't one army that has come up against them. It is three armies who have come up against them. Have you ever felt like that? Shakespeare said when troubles come, they come not as single spies, but in battalions. My grandma didn't read Shakespeare. She just said when it rains. Yeah, your, your grandma didn't read Shakespeare either, did she? Yes. <laughs> We feel that way sometimes, don't we? That it just comes in droves. We don't face one enemy, we face three. That's how Jehoshaphat felt. If it had been one army, he would have been okay. He could have prepared to face one army. Maybe two, he could have rallied support from his neighbors in Israel. And maybe he could have called for some surrounding people to help him. But in this case, it's not one army, it's three. He is completely outnumbered. He's not ready to face this. The text says, a vast army is coming against you. We're not just facing one enemy, we're facing three. Maybe today it's not one problem, it's a multitude of problems you're facing. Maybe on top of your health or something broken in your finances. Maybe in addition to financial trouble, things are messed up in your family or your marriage or your kids have gone off the deep end. Maybe you have multiple things going on right now. Maybe if I were to ask you to describe your situation, you'd just say, Pastor, it's complicated. It's complicated. Say complicated. Some of us have a complicated story right now. There's a lot of drama. There are a lot of battles. We're fighting on several different fronts. We're not in a battle. We're in a war. We're just seeing the enemy come at us from multiple directions. In the Bible, Christians have three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you and I have faced those all the time. Uh, Steve Furtick calls them the passions, the patterns, and the principalities of this world. I love that. The passions, that's the flesh, our physical desires that want to be met in a way that is not biblical. The patterns of this world. We live in a culture that tries to get us to go the world's way instead of God's way. And then finally, principality. Sometimes you just face the devil. He just comes up against you and your family and you feel the intensity of that attack. We face these three enemies. Hear me today. They were outnumbered. Say outnumbered. And number two, they were overwhelmed. Say overwhelmed. Not only are they outnumbered, but listen, they're caught off guard by the enemy. Many people, if you're like me, read those little place names down at the bottom, and you just kind of say, those are hard words, and I don't know where they are, so I'm just going to keep reading. Well, this is one of the places where it would really benefit you if you flip over to the map in the back of your Bible and find those places. Because if you do, you'll notice something that's real easy to see. There's a trade route that runs in front of Jerusalem, and everybody who came to Jerusalem came along that trade route. If you look at the place that's being described here, it's not on the front side of the city. 
It's on the backside of the city. They're coming up from Engedi. Engedi is the wilderness. They're sneaking in from the back through a little known route, and they're trying to catch them off guard. Here's the worst news. The Bible tells us not only are they sneaking up on them, but they are already at the back door. The Bible says in verse 2, they've come from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and they are already at Hazazon Tamar, which is Engedi. In other words, they are one day's journey from being at the city gates of Jerusalem. One day away. In other words, when Jehoshaphat gets the news, he doesn't have time to prepare strategy. He doesn't have time to get ready. He doesn't have time to call in reinforcements. He doesn't have much time to even meet his own generals together and come up with a plan. He's outnumbered and he's overwhelmed. He is caught off guard. He got the word this morning and he's got to face it tomorrow morning. Has life ever come at you like that? You've got to face it, and you've got to face it in the morning. And you have no time to mount a defense against it. And you don't know what you're going to do. You feel overwhelmed. That's where the people of God are in this story. Outnumbered, overwhelmed. The, the battle comes at them, and it's a surprise attack, and it is multiple enemies. Here they are. Two chapters earlier, Jehoshaphat had chosen to enter into a battle he had no business fighting. He made a partnership with Ahab. He never should have been in that fight. That wasn't his fight. Some of you are in trouble today because you're fighting fights that aren't your fight. <laughs> Some of us are fighting fights because we won't do what the New Testament says and mind our own business. Mm. Some of you need to memorize this line with me. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Because sometimes you end up in a battle that you're not supposed to be in because it isn't your battle. Amen. Jehoshaphat did that back in chapter 18, and he almost got killed. God rescued him, but he almost lost his life in that battle because he had no business being down there in league with King Ahab. King Ahab did lose his life, if you read the story. But I want you to notice this battle isn't like that. Sometimes I bring trouble on myself. Can anybody admit that? Sometimes the reason there's a battle in my life is because I've opened the door for the battle. Sometimes Sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes we do dumb things. I saw a sign on a church one time and it said everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is you're not smart and make bad decisions. <laughs> there are battles you're never supposed to be in. There are battles that you're in because you went and picked a fight. Amen. There are battles you're in because of bad decisions you made. If you read the story that we're in today though, that was not the case. Jehoshaphat didn't pick this battle. He didn't start this fight. He didn't do anything wrong to land him here. He just woke up one day and the enemy is 24 hours from the gates of the city. Sometimes you've been there. You say, Pastor, I don't know what I did. I, I didn't do anything. I just looked up and it seemed like all hell had come against me. All the forces of the evil one had parked outside my door. My family's being overrun with this attack. Sometimes you're there. You didn't do anything to cause it. You didn't choose the battle. The battle chose you. What do you do when you find yourself in circumstances like this? Well, I want to give you some help today. I want to give you some steps that you can walk through. Number one, pray instead of panic. Say it with me. Pray instead of panic. The first thing we do is we don't panic, we don't wring our hands, we don't run around in circles, we don't have a meltdown, we don't go on Facebook, Lord of God, we, 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 we don't do that. Here, here's what we do. We fall on our knees in the presence of the Lord. We come before God and we pray. The Bible says in chapter 20, verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Where did he go? 
He went to church. He went to God's house. He went and stood in the new courtyard right out in front of Solomon's temple. He went and brought all the people with him. What did he do? He called a prayer meeting and said, let's meet at church. They didn't gather at the king's palace. They gathered on the front lawn of God's house. Amen. Everybody's wanting to march on the White House. You need to come to the church house. Amen. What we need in our country today is people to call on the Lord. Amen. Amen. We're in a mess, and there's nobody in Washington that can fix it. Only the Lord can fix it. Our problems are at the grassroots level. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm mad or anointed. The problem at your house doesn't have anything to do with Washington. The problem in our neighborhood doesn't have anything to do with Washington. We need to call on the Lord to show up and visit our community again. We need God to move in the midst of his people. Only the fear of the Lord will turn things around in our country. And so they didn't show up at the king's house. They showed up in front of God's house and said, God, you've got to do something. The enemy is about to overtake us. They, rehearsed, they came before the Lord and they prayed. Number one, they rehearsed their past. Lord, we want to remind you, you are the God of our fathers. I love that. Are you not the God of our fathers, the God of heaven? Lord, you've been our God for all these generations, and we can trust in you today. Do you not rule over all the kingdoms and nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to stand before you? They're reminding God of their history with him. They're reminding themselves of how God has been faithful and always come through for them in the past. I love it. I remember 9-11 when that happened. Everybody filled church houses all across America and sought the face of the Lord. That's the kind of moment these people are having. They're filling the courtyard of God's temple and they're crying out to God. A couple chapters ago, Jehoshaphat had turned to the wicked king of Israel, Ahab. This time he doesn't do that. He turns to the righteous king of heaven. Sometimes trouble has a way of driving you into the presence of God. Sometimes it takes the enemy showing up at the gate to get you to come back to God's house. Amen. I want to tell you, God will get you to run back to him. All he's got to do is let a bulldog get after you that you can't beat off by yourself, and you'll come look for some reinforcements. Amen? Yes. Trouble drives a lot of people back to God. Amen. Back to the house of God. When my accounting professor asked what we were doing after graduation, I said, I'm going to seminary. He said, well, Ole Miss Accounting's driven a lot of people back to God, son. Yeah. He was right. I prayed for a C because C is for commencement, and I got it and graduated and never looked back in that class. <laughs> Amen. Lord, help us. Our help comes from the Lord. We don't need to look to man. We rehearse our past, and we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. What else do they do in prayer? They remembered his promises. Say his promises. Look at how they pray in the next verse. Look at verse 7. Are you not God who drove out the inhabitants of the land from before your people and gave it to the descendants, Abraham, your friend, forever? You see what he did? He just claimed a promise. God, we're in this land, and you promised this land to Abraham's descendants forever. The last I checked, forever hasn't expired yet, so that promise is still in effect. Lord, you promised us this land forever. They're standing on the promise of God. Keep reading. He does it again. And they dwell in it. And they have built a sanctuary for your name in it, saying, Now who said this? The Lord said this to Solomon. If disaster comes on us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. 
Where did he get that from? Second Chronicles chapter 7, whenever they dedicated the temple, God spoke to Solomon, and God gave Solomon a promise. And he told him in 2 in, in Chronicles 7, he said, he said to him these words in the promise. He said, it doesn't matter what happens, I will hear you in this place. If you call on me, I will answer you from this place. God made them that promise. And Jehoshaphat remembers these words, and he prays them back to God. When you don't know what to pray, pray the promises of God. When you don't know what to say in God's presence, just take your Bible into your prayer meeting and read back to God what God said he would do. And remind, well, you don't need to remind God. He knows what he will do. You need to remind yourself that God promised he would answer. And you need to build up your faith by claiming the promises of God's word. They came and they stood on the promise. Daniel did that after 70 years of captivity. He read Jeremiah where it said in 70 years we get to go home. And on the 70th year, Daniel opened the book of Jeremiah and got on his knees and said, Lord, it says right here we get to go home this year. I'm praying for you to fulfill your word to your people. Stand on the promises of God. Amen? Say stand on the promises. Sometimes we end up in a battle not because we disobeyed the Lord but because we obeyed the Lord. Now, sometimes you're in a battle because you disobeyed God. But sometimes you're in a battle because you did obey God. That's where they are today. Verse 10 has this interesting little line in it. Look at it. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. What is Jehoshaphat saying? Lord, we could have took care of these people years ago, but you told us we were not allowed to do that. You told us we were not allowed to touch them. We couldn't touch them. You put your hand on them. You marked them off and said, nope, you're not going to touch them. The Edomites were the cousins of the Israelites. They were Esau's family line instead of Jacob's family line, but they were related. And God said, because of Esau and Abraham, I won't let you touch them. And so they weren't allowed. Well, now, he said, look how they've repaid us. They've risen up against us. Basically, what Jehoshaphat is saying is, Lord, it's your fault this is happening. <laughs> you know you've said it to God. God, this is all your fault. I did what you told me to do. I tried to live right. I did what the book said. And look at me now. Look at the shape we're in. And what we're almost saying to God is, it's your fault. It's your fault I'm here. You know what? He said it. <laughs> Jehoshaphat said it. I guess he figured I'm going to die tomorrow anyway. What difference does it make? You may as well be honest with God. Lord, we could have dealt with them years ago and you said not to. And because of that, now they've risen up against us. We need you to do something about this. Lord, we're in this battle because we obeyed you. I want to tell you today, just because you belong to God and just because you obey God doesn't mean everything will come out peachy all the time. It doesn't go that way. Even when you're trying to obey God, even when you're doing your, old best to your best to live according to God's Word, even when you're trying to obey God's commands, when you're trying to treat other people right, when you're trying your best to do that, you will still sometimes end up in the wrong. I took my family to church and I tried to live for God and my family still fell apart. That happens sometimes. I did everything I knew to do and they still left and wouldn't stay with me in the marriage. Sometimes that happens. I hate that, but sometimes that happens. I was the best employee I knew how to be. Other people were cheating the company. I tried to do what was right, but the company still closed and I lost my job. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we find ourselves in a very difficult place, even though or maybe even because we obeyed the Lord. 
And that can be a very difficult place to be. I want to tell you, Jesus obeyed the Lord and ended up on the cross. So remember who you're following, okay? Sometimes this road gets difficult. Sometimes we face hard places in the journey. Maybe you're here today and you're in danger because you obeyed the Lord like they did. Hear me. Maybe you're here today and you're in the battle because you didn't obey the Lord. Well, the good news is God has promised to help you either way if you will call on him and pray to him. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He goes on to say, my eyes, my ears will be attentive to the prayer that you make in this place. When Daniel gets to Babylon, he can't pray in the temple. So what does he do? He walks around his room and figures out which way is east. And he opens his east window and he aims his body toward the temple in Jerusalem. And he prays that way. Amen. Why? He's claiming the promise of God. Claim God's promise. They, claim, claim, they, they stood on the promises of God. Don't let your shame over a mistake keep you from God's presence. Even if the battle is coming because of something you did, repent and pray. God will still help you make the correction and get your life back on track. If you're facing the battle because you're doing everything you're supposed to be, hang in there. If you're in a battle because you obeyed God, it's God's battle, not your battle. Did you hear me? If you're in a battle because you did the right thing, then it's not your battle, it's God's battle. It's God's responsibility. And it's God's job to take care of you and you can count on Him to do it. He will not forsake the righteous. He will not abandon you if you've done the right thing. He will not let you be destroyed. I don't know how it will play out. I don't know what he will do to work it out, but I know he will work it out. And you can count on him because David said, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's children begging for bread. Glory to God. God is a way maker and he will figure out a way for you. He'll make a way if he has to. But you'll come out okay. Keep walking and trusting God. They relied on God's power. Oh God, will you not judge them? We have no power against this great multitude, verse 12 says. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. They didn't just confess God's power. They admitted their own powerlessness. We don't know what to do. We don't have any power against this great enemy. I love the last line. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a good motto right there. When you don't know what to do, just fix your eyes on God. Just focus your attention on him and wait on him to show up for you. So here's what they did. They waited on the Lord. They prayed instead of panicked, and then they waited on a word. Say, wait on a word. They waited on a word. The next verse, verse 12, uh, verse 13, it says that they stood before the Lord. All the men of Judah with their wives and the children and the little ones stood before the Lord. What do they do? They pray and then they just stand there and stare at the temple. We've had our say. We've prayed our prayer. And now we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to wait on God expectantly to do what he needs to do. I want to tell you that's the hardest thing in the world to do, isn't it? To wait. To wait on God to act to wait on God to speak, that tense moment when you've prayed and you've done everything you know to do and you're waiting on God to do what you've asked him to do and you're just stuck in the waiting room. I hate waiting rooms. I hate red lights. Amen. I don't know what we did at red light before we had a cell phone, right? Here we are. We don't like to wait. And yet there are times there's nothing to do but wait. Wait 
on the Lord. They waited on a word. Lord, we're just going to stand here and wait on your direction. They didn't run off and try to fix it, hoping God would bless their efforts. They didn't slap a Bible verse on a plan that they'd already come up with, hoping God would bless it. No, they're genuinely seeking God. They really want God to speak. They really aren't going to move until they get some divine direction from the Lord. You'll make a mess if you don't wait on God sometimes. If you go off and try to fix it yourself, you will often make a mess of things. There's a moment to just be still and wait on the Lord. It's what God told Moses at the Red Sea. Stand still and see the salvation of God with you. Be still and know that I am God, he says. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. I love all those names. Who was Asaph? Asaph was the worship leader for David. In other words, this guy comes from a long line of worshipers. There's also prophets in that list. If you'll speak to God in worship, God will speak back to you with his word. Amen? He's a praiser and he's a prophet. And he's standing here and the Spirit of the Lord comes on him and he gives a word to the congregation from God. I love that. They got a word from the Lord. I thank God that I'm in a spirit-filled church where God still moves by his spirit and God still speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks through songs that we sing. He speaks through gifts of the spirit that operate in the assembly when we gather. He speaks through tongues and interpretation. He speaks through prophecy. He speaks through words of knowledge that people receive in an altar at times. Sometimes he speaks by just a strong impression down in your spirit that that you can't get away from. Sometimes he speaks when a Bible verse jumps off the page and you know that it is for you. God still speaks. Say he still speaks. I love it. I love it when God speaks. Verse 15, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Say that with me. For the battle is not yours but God's. Once they received a word from the Lord, the atmosphere changed in the assembly. Notice what the next verse says. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. So first they worshiped. They got on their face. They got low in, in reverence. Why? Because God was speaking. God was moving, and they wanted to be reverent. They wanted to hear the voice of God. So when this prophetic word comes forward, they get down low on their face because they perceive that God is talking to them. They want to get low so they can hear. They want to bow down and get quiet so they don't miss anything. They get before the Lord just waiting and soaking in the word of the Lord. I love that. Whenever God speaks, we need to slow down long enough to let it soak into our heart. God, what are you saying? Lord, what is your word here? Lord, what are your directions for me? What do you have to say? We would make a lot less mistakes in our lives if we would start every day by slowing down a few minutes and opening our Bible and letting God speak to us before anybody else had the chance to mess up our mind. Do you hear me? Some of us, our problem is we start the day way too early. I don't care when you start it, but I do care how you start it. Let God get to you before the world gets to you. Let, let, let your deliverer get to you before the day gets to you. Amen? Hear from God before you hear from anybody else. It'll help you. You get your head straight, and then you can start into the thing. They bowed down, and then the Bible says, I love this line, 
It says next that uh, not only did they bow down and worship, verse 19 says the Levites, some of the Kohathites and Korahites, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I love it. They had received that word. And what are they doing? These are the priests. These are the choir. These are the people that minister to the Lord. And whenever they hear that word from the Lord, what do they do? They stand up and they start rejoicing and they start praising God. They're shouting for victory like the battle's already been won. They're shouting shouting their praises like God's already come through. They're rejoicing like it's already happened. I love it. Why? Because they are sure that God will do what he said he would do. Amen. So they go ahead and praise him on faith. God's word resulted in their worship. The prayer meeting turned into a praise break. The battle may, may not be till tomorrow, but you can go ahead and shout today if you've got a word from God. If you've got a promise from the Lord, you can shout today because you're going to see the victory come to pass. You can praise him on faith. So they prayed instead of panic. They waited on a word from God. Number three, they faced it in faith. Say, face it in faith. The next line that Jehaziel says to them is a very interesting line. You will not need to fight in the battle. The battle is not yours but God's. But in verse 16, he says, Tomorrow, march down against them. But then at the bottom it says, Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Okay? I'm confused, Jehaziel. The battle's not mine. Why are we marching down to the battle scene then? Uh, if we're not going to have to fight, why do we march down against them like we're fighting? That's kind of confusing instructions, isn't it? You know what? Even though God told them they wouldn't have to fight in the battle, they still had to face the battle. You may not have to fight it, but you've still got to face it. Amen. How many of you know that's true? Even though God's going to come through for me, I've still got to face what I have to face. There are Christians who think there's something spiritual about digging a hole and putting their head in the sand. There's nothing spiritual about that. There's nothing spiritual about pretending trouble hasn't come to your house. Amen. That doesn't work. I know people that do that in their parenting. They do that in their finances. You just keep on overspending. Well, I'm going to trust the Lord. Well, the Lord's not responsible for that credit card bill if you keep overspending. Oh, I know what the doctor said. I know what he said about my blood sugar, my diabetes, but I'm just going to trust the Lord while polishing off six Krispy Kreme donuts. The Lord ain't going to sign off on that. Okay? <laughs> you can't put your head in the sand. But I want to tell you, even when we have a promise from God, we still have to face what we have to face, don't we? I know what God said, but pastor, I've got to go see the doctor tomorrow. I know what the Lord said, pastor, but I meet with the bank on Tuesday. Pastor, I know what God said, but I've got to show up at the courthouse Thursday at noon. You don't have to fight it, but you do have to face it. And that's the hard place, isn't it? That's where it gets difficult. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we really find out if we believe this thing or not. I'm not minimizing what you're facing. The battle is real and the enemy is real. Moses had to face the Red Sea. David had to face Goliath. The Hebrew children had to face the furnace. Daniel had to face the lion's den. Jesus had to face the cross. Stephen had to face those who stoned him. Peter had to face a prison cell. Paul had to face the shipwreck. John had to face exile on the Isle of Atmos, you've still got to face some stuff. You've still got to come up against the things that are coming up against you. Your enemy is real, but so is your ally today. You see, Jehoshaphat didn't have Ahab, and he didn't have Egypt, and he didn't have anybody else to lean on, but what he did have is he had the Lord of Heaven's armies. 
When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned, neither will the flame set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, Isaiah 43 says. We have a promise from the Lord. So pray instead of panic, wait on a word, face it in faith, and lastly, wage war with worship. Wage war with worship. You fight the battle by standing in faith and worshiping God in advance. Verse 20, early in the morning, they left the desert of Tekoa. They left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and all you of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. King Jehoshaphat, what's the battle plan? Everybody line up. Who are you putting first? Are you putting the swordsmen first? Are you putting the horsemen first? Are you putting the archers first? Do the guys with the spears go in first? Who's up front? Who are you putting on the front line? Jehoshaphat says, bring me the choir. And all the choir people are going, man, I knew I shouldn't have signed up for the choir. <laughs> hmm. Like, what's he doing? We can't fight, so he's going to go ahead and give us up first, right? Maybe the rest of us can run while they kill them off. They're not going to fight anyway. They're just going to sing. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not what Jehoshaphat's doing. He's not putting them out there as a, as a, as a, to put some space in the, to fill the gap. He's not doing that. He's, this is his strategy. This is how we fight our battle, we sing. <laughs> this, is how you do, this is how you do it when you've got a word from the Lord. He puts the singers out front. He puts, listen, these are probably the same people that were shouting the day before. The Korahites, they're the choir. He puts them out front. Better be careful if you shout on Sunday. God may make you shout on Tuesday. You shout when you heard the word, but can you shout when you face the battle? That's the real test. You shout when the prophet's prophesying, but can you shout when you actually face it? Well, these people could, and they did. And they went out on the front of the battle, and they acted just like they'd acted when Jehaziel gave the word. They lifted their voice, and they began to sing the little chorus that comes up in psalm after psalm after psalm. The Lord is good, and he give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they began to praise, and they began to worship. And verse 22 says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah and they were defeated and the Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them and after they finished slaughtering the men from Mount Seir they helped to destroy one another what happened God set ambushes against them who 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 were these ambushes <laughs> I love it it wasn't any of the soldiers from Israel or Judah it wasn't the people out on the battle that just got confused with each other. No, the Lord sent somebody to fight. Who did the Lord send to fight? Hmm, I wonder. There's this great little story tucked away in the book of 2 Kings where they come, the Assyrian army comes to arrest the prophet. And this, the, the, the Elisha servant wakes up and rubs his eyes and goes outside for his morning constitutional and sees the army of Assyria all around him. And he freaks out and panics and runs back in and wakes Elisha up and says, We're surrounded, Master. They're all the way around us. There's no escape for us. And Elijah reaches up and stretches and yawns real big and says, Lord, open his eyes. And he says, go back out there and look again. While Elijah fixes his, Elisha fixes his own cup of coffee, 
the servant goes back out front and rubs his eyes again and he looks and this time the Lord gives him prophetic vision and he's able to not just see in the natural but see in the spiritual and he looks and he still sees the army of Assyria but around the army that's around them there's another army there's an army of chariots of fire and angels with drawn swords and it And he runs back in and he says, Master, there's more with us than there are with them. I want to tell you today, the Bible says that he's the Lord of hosts. That means he's the God of angel armies. He's not just God by himself. He's got a whole army of angels that he can send to invade your situation today. I want to tell you, I don't know what you're facing today, but I know there's more on your side than there are against you today. I know that your ally is stronger than your enemy. Yes! And that's why the Apostle Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Steve Furtick said it this way, God's going to fight what you can see by sending what you can't see. I love that. And so God sent what they couldn't see. He sent angel armies to ambush them. And all of a sudden, they're getting hit. And they're going, where's that coming from? Judah isn't fighting us. Who's fighting us? Why are our men falling down? And they get confused and think, those guys must have turned on us. And so they start fighting those guys. They don't realize they're not being hit from the side. They're being hit from up top. The angels of the Lord are coming down. Oh, pastor, I know I've got angels, but, you know, that really doesn't make me feel a lot better. Well, it ought to make you feel a whole lot better because the Bible says that in the time of King Hezekiah, the King Hezekiah went and he got a letter from Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, and the king came and wrote him a letter and said, you need to surrender the city because I'm coming tomorrow and I'm going to take you. I'm going to besiege this city and nobody's going to make it out alive. He says, and there is no God who is able to deliver you out of my hand. And when he read the last line... (laughs) Hezekiah said, oh, wait a minute, this letter was addressed to the wrong, this letter's addressed to the wrong bail box. This mail wasn't for me. This mail was intended for the Lord. He's not talking about me. He's talking about God. Okay, I'm going to deliver this letter. And so Sennacherib, all he does, all Hezekiah does is walk over to the house of God. And he says, God, somebody left you a note. And Hezekiah goes home and goes to sleep. And the next morning when he wakes up, the Bible says, not a mighty army. The Bible says, one angel passed through the Assyrian camp. And there's 175,000 dead Assyrians on the ground the next morning. There are more with you than are with your enemy. see a victory I'm going to see a victory God's going to fight for us God's going to deliver us He's going to move for us Your enemy who came before you one way will flee before you seven ways He's going to come You've got to wage war with your worship. Stay standing. Chad, come help me this morning if you can. I love it. The Bible says in verse verse 24, it says, They looked and saw only dead bodies. No one had escaped. 
Why did they have to go down to the battle? God didn't bring them down so they could fight. God brought them down so they could see what he'd already done. <laughs> they show up that morning and the battle is already won. The enemy is already dead and no one's escaped. I want to tell you, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to meet you at the courthouse. I know he's going to show up at the doctor's visit. He's going to meet you at the banker's office. He's going to do whatever he has to do, but he's not going to fail you and he's not going to leave you and he's going to come through for you. You can count on God. Amen. Amen. Pastor, that's a mighty bold sermon. Aren't you putting yourself on the hook? God's already put himself on the hook. I'm just reading the record today. God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. God said, I'll fight your battles for you. God said, I'll uphold you and strengthen you with my righteous right hand. God said, as your days are, so shall your strength be. God said, I'll provide all your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God already made these promises. I'm just reporting the news today. I just get to be Jehaziel who comes and tells you on Sunday what you're going to need to hear on Monday. That God's already got this. He's already in the future working for you. You've just got to stand still and see it. And in the meantime, do what they did. Begin to worship and praise him by faith. Begin to worship and praise him by faith. I love it. Verse 27, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. Maybe this is where we get jumping Jehoshaphat from. I don't know. (laughs) He's jumping and leaping and rejoicing and shouting. Why? The Lord has given him victory over his enemies. Verse 29, then the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. And all the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. Do you need rest on every side today? Are you here and saying, Pastor, I just need God to fight for me. I just need rest on every side. I need the Lord to meet me in the middle of my battle. I need God to turn some things for me. This week, this month, this year, I need to see a victory. I want to tell you this morning, the altar's open for you. Don't linger. Don't tarry. Don't wait on somebody else. I invite you to come as Chad leads us in singing. And let's come and lift our hearts up to the Lord. And I want you to come this morning, not just praying, but I want you to come praising. I want you to come declaring, this is what I believe to be true about you. This is your promise. This is what you've said. I'm claiming your word. I'm holding on to what you said to me. I'm going to see a victory. Give the Lord a mighty hand of praise this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen.